So my name is Andrew McElrath. Uh, a lot of my good friends call me Drew. <coughs> I uh, love Jesus. And I'm here today to talk to you about grace. And I have to say, when I first became a Christian 10 years ago, it's that grace, that, that understanding in that moment when God came alive to me, that he loved me, even though I had done so many terrible things. And at that moment, saw myself as such a terrible person. And that grace is just, it, it's what drew me in. It was, it was really just that power of God just reaching out to me and, and treating me like a son and accepting me into his family <clears throat> despite being maybe not such a good candidate at the time. So since becoming a Christian about 10 years ago, uh, I started coming to Journey North about five years ago. I started in Celebrate Recovery. And then uh, a couple years ago, made this my home church and uh, have been a member for about a year and a half, maybe two years now, because we just had the class, right? So I think two years. Uh, I'm married to my lovely wife, Rebecca, and I have uh, three kids, two boys, ages 18 and 16. So I finally got one to adulthood. That's good. <laughs> and then uh, I got a little daughter. She's, uh, she's 12, and I think she's going on 22. <laughs> And I just want to, I want to thank you guys for allowing me to come in and bring the Lord, uh, the word of the Lord for you guys today. Uh, to start out with, I'm just going to say a little prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear words from you. And I ask, Lord, that they would be your words, not my words. Lord, that there would be wisdom in these words. And that, Lord, they would touch somebody, reach somebody's heart, that you would perform miracles today, Lord, to, to get some of these people in these seats and I pray, Lord, that it would pierce their heart and draw them closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So grace. I think the most exciting thing about grace is that it's unique. And when I say unique, I'm talking about the saving grace of the Lord. And to demonstrate this, I'd actually heard a little story uh, when I was in ministry school. And so as I started praying about, you know, this topic and I, I, that came to my mind and I, I wondered if it was true. It turns out it was actually recorded in a book called What's So Amazing About Grace, written by Philip Yancey. And it's actually a story about C.S. Lewis. So they were having this uh, <clears throat> like interfaith debate uh, in England. That's where C.S. Lewis is from. And they were talking about what unique contribution, if any, Christianity has brought to the world of religion. And, you know, they were eliminating some possibilities, like incarnation. Well, other religions have examples of, like, God coming to earth in human form. And they said, well, what about uh, resurrection? Well, no, because other religions have examples of resurrection. And so they're in the midst of this conversation when C.S. Lewis wanders into the room. He says, what's this rumpus about? He was, he was English, so he used words like rumpus. <laughs> and to which, you know, his colleagues replied, hey, we're talking about Christianity's unique contribution to the faith. He said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. Right off the bat. And the conference attendees, after some debate, had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. You've got, you've got the Buddhist Eightfold Path. You've got uh, 
the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, the Muslim code of law. All of these were ways in which to earn your way into heaven. Each of these offers a way to earn God's approval, and only Christianity dared to make God's love unconditional. I think unconditional acceptance doesn't make a lot of sense to the world. Uh, we're used to choices and consequences, and, and we feel like God should treat us in that same way. As a matter of fact, it reminds me of this verse. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Actually, I kind of had this come to, to, to life in my experience. When I was uh, in Teen Challenge early in becoming a Christian, I met this guy that uh, was one of the first Muslims to come through the Teen Challenge program. That may surprise some of you that uh, they take people that aren't Christians, but they do. They take anybody that's part of state financing. And so there was some debate about whether or not they're going to let this gentleman have a Koran in Teen Challenge uh, while he went through the program. And because of this debate, everybody knew, right? Everybody knew he was Muslim. Every, you know, everybody knew about this Koran that was coming in. And so uh, a lot of people chose to avoid him and ostracize him. And um, having been somewhat of a student of world religions myself, I decided to engage him in debate. I was like, what, what a better opportunity to um, not only reach out to somebody who's being ostracized, but uh, to speak the love of Jesus into somebody's life. And he, after some debate with me, said flat out, I just can't believe that you don't have to earn your way into heaven. It makes no sense to me that you would just get in for free, no matter how, you know, how many bad things you've done, that, that you would just be accepted. And it, we had some other debates over our time together in there, and you know, hopefully those seeds I planted in his life bear fruit someday, or maybe they even already have, who knows. But I think that's indicative of, of what we really see with those aren't even in Christianity. And I, uh, a brother reminded me after the first service here that there's even some branches of our Christianity that would say, you must do these things in order to be accepted into heaven. And so I think that understanding grace is a really important part of being a Christian. But grace can sometimes be difficult to understand. If you ask people what grace is, if you've been to Bible school, you might say, you know, oh, it's a gift, right? A free gift or an undeserved gift or something like that. Right? But grace is so much more. I think that the reason that God knew we would need grace is because he knew that legalism would lead to so many negative things, right? And there's examples within our history as Christians of that. And there's examples in modern day today. Two of them I'd like to talk about are Terrorism, for one, right? There's a, there's a radical faction of, of Islam that believes that, uh, you know, you can get into paradise by, by dying fighting infidels. As a matter of fact, just in May, there is a terrorist attack in Belgium where this guy got let out of jail on a day pass. He killed two female police officers and a female trainee uh, before he was shot dead by cops himself. And this guy... Uh, was Muslim, uh, said he did it, you know, uh, for Allah, and he was not a good Muslim, right? He's got a rap sheet. That's why he was in prison. He's been convicted of assault and robbery and drug dealing. All of those are against the Muslim code of law. You can't do that stuff. That, that makes you a bad Muslim. And 
So at some point, uh, probably in prison, he got radicalized and realized that he wasn't going to get to go to heaven, but he had a free ticket if he would just do the right thing. And because of that, three people lost their lives. That's the sort of thing that having you know, legalism leads to. Another thing that just breaks my heart, we have these uh, friends that are missionaries uh, over in East Asia, and uh, the Hindu religion believes in karma. Now, I had friends growing up, uh, you know, that they believed in karma, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, these are people who seriously practice uh, the Hindu religion, of course, because it was born in that area. And uh, <clears throat> our friends went over there, and they got off the train in the city, and they saw laying against this storefront a pile of rags. And then the rags moved. And she was appalled to see that those weren't rags. Those were children huddled together in front of a store. And uh, there was, you know, scrawny, barely fed, and who knows how long they'd even survive in that condition. And when she got to the church that they were visiting there, uh, the she asked about this. She's like, why are all these children, you know, suffering in the streets? Why is nobody helping them? And the answer is karma, right? These children deserved to be homeless orphans starving on the streets because whatever they did in their past life earned them that place in this current life. And then not only that, but there's the doctrine of dharma, which is that you are to make the best of your lot in life. This was given to you. This is where you put yourself. You're responsible for it. So you do your best to be better, and then you get a better life. You don't have to be a starving homeless orphan in your next life. But the thing that really ties it together, and the reason they don't get helped, is something called karmetic destiny. And that's where, if you were to help these children, you would become entangled karmetically with them, and then you're somewhat responsible for whatever karma they earn in the future. So if you were to give them a place or a home or even a storefront porch to rest on, Right, You may entangle yourselves with them and then be responsible for any negative karma that they may incur. And of course, there's not a lot of good things expected out of homeless orphans. Right, If they do live, they probably live through a life of crime. And so uh, the good side of this story is that uh, our friends have opened, I think, two orphanages. They're up in the 60s in terms of the number of children that they house and um, give food and clothing and shelter and love and an education and teach about Jesus. So <clears throat> they're making an impact in that area, but there's so much more that's needed. And, and it all stems from this, uh, you know, this legalistic idea of having to earn your way to a better life or a better afterlife. So God set us free of the law of sin and death by sacrificing his son Jesus on the cross as the fulfillment of the Jewish covenant once and for all, giving us redemption through grace. And, and when we say grace, that's usually the grace we talk about, which is the saving grace of the Lord. For you see in this verse that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we are now the only people who, despite being imperfect, despite having sin in our lives, despite having a mess to work with, uh, that can say with absolute certainty as Christians that we're right with God, that God loves us. As a matter of fact, one of the great theologians of the past century is a preacher, and uh, he said, his name is A.W. Towser, 
He put it this way. The cross is the lightning rod of grace that short circuits <coughs> that short circuits God's wrath to Christ so that only the light of his love remains for his believers. Amen. I love that. It's a great way of putting it. That's exactly how that works. But this use of grace becomes a bigger concept when we, when we dive into it, when we're studying the word. There isn't only the saving grace of God. Grace is used in a number of ways. As a matter of fact, in Peter 4.10, it says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Manifold grace. What, what kind of grace is that? What does that mean? And, and I know some of you are thinking, what does grace have to do with my muffler system? But the manifold grace, the word manifold, comes from the Greek word pokilos, which actually sounds kind of Mexican, right? You can have toquitos or pokilos. Right? But pokilos means many colors is the one way in which it's used, or various. And it's often translated various in the Bible. As a matter of fact, uh, further up in Peter's letter, he's talking about uh, you've been distressed by various trials. He's using that same word, pokilos. So we can see that the reason maybe that people become a little bit confused about what grace is has a lot to do with the fact that grace is many things. Or it's expressed in many ways might be a better way to say it. And like we said, is it, is it a free gift? Yes. Is it an undeserved gift? Well, if you're talking about the saving grace of Jesus, it certainly is. Is it a manifestation of God's power? Yeah, always. But is it God's power working through you? And that's what I want to talk about today. You can see that Paul says in Ephesians 3.8, I became a servant of, God, of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. And then in 4.7, he says, put to each one of us, grace was giving according to the measure of Christ's gift. Well, what does that mean? Given to us in accordance with the measure of Christ's gift. It's a, honestly a little bit Christianese sounding. But if we start to take it one part at a time, we can start to understand that each one of us was given grace. That's the first part. Each one of us, grace was given to me, to you, to every believer. God's power of grace was given to us. And then the second is that grace had a shape. Right? To Paul, that shape was the power to preach the, the, word, the gospel to the world. But each one of us has been given a gift as well, and it talks about that in other places of the Bible. The gift of administration, the gift of teaching, the gift of preaching. There's other gifts, obviously, that aren't listed. It's not an exhaustive list, right? We don't all have to be teachers or preachers. I would say that music is a, is a profound gift that people have in the church today that brings people and draws people closer to God. And who knows what your gift is, but you and the Lord. And the Lord wants you to be shaped into that person, to use that gift. And that's what I call the grace space. The grace space is this place where we are being shaped by God 
through his power, through his grace, working on our mess to become the man or woman of God that God has called us to be. And once we start to take that shape, we can be used by God to deliver grace to others, to help shape others, to help improve the world around us. For example, many of you are familiar with this verse. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do not want to do it, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. That's from Romans. That's Paul talking. And in a later letter to the Corinthians, he's talking about this thorn in his flesh that he's begged God to take away from him. And uh, he replies, God replies to Paul saying, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Here's, here's another maybe somewhat confusing verse about grace. That's great. I'm very happy that you know, your grace is sufficient for me, Lord, but how do I use grace, right? Where is the grace instruction manual? Because I got a real problem in my life that I need to take care of, and, and I don't understand how to deal with it. But through the context of what we've been talking about, we do kind of start to understand that grace is the power, right, that God has given to Paul. And to be honest, this grace not only covers him in such a way that it allows him to work on solving these problems without being shunned by God, but it gives him the power to overcome these problems. I would think that Paul, having lived to be 60, finally conquered these weaknesses. But, but who knows? Maybe he didn't. He didn't have to. Right? That's not the requirement. The requirement is to grow closer to God and work with God on your mess to become more of the man or woman that God has called you to be. And I would, I would think that Paul conquered these things, but maybe he didn't, right? Maybe, like, he's on his way to be executed, you know, and he's chained to the guard, and maybe Paul's thing was shiny objects, right? And all of a sudden the guard's like, dude, where's my watch? But he's lived with Paul for, you know, ever, right? He's been chained to him for years. And so he's like, Paul, you know, and Paul's like, oh, sorry, man. Yeah, you know, but you know, it's, it's not me. It's the sin that lives in me. So it's not about, you know, being perfect. It's about having God in you and working with you to be more of the man of God that, or woman of God that he's called you to be. In all seriousness now, there's some really good research nowadays about mindset. And it, it has to do with a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And little children almost exclusively have growth mindsets. And what a growth mindset is, is a mindset that says, yes. Right? It's a mindset that says, I can try that. And it's a mindset that's open to doing different things. And somewhere on our way to adulthood... We go through some, some pain or some failure uh, in certain areas of our life. Or, or maybe we get really good at something in our life. And we decide that those areas are now uh, closed to trying, right? Whether it's closed to trying because we're no good at that and we don't want to fail. Or whether it's closed to trying because we think we're really good at that and we don't want to fail and prove ourselves wrong, right? So what we've done is we've created these, these, these no areas when God is a yes person, right? 
And so what we need to do is make sure that when it comes to operating in this grace space, that we have grace for ourselves, that it's okay to try and fail. And if we're listening to what the Lord is calling us to, that there can be no failure that's a bad failure. It, it's all just instruction in him shaping you into who you need to be, who, who, who he's calling you to be. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was in Teen Challenge, I got to see this artist, and he had a really great story. You know, He was a teenager, and he's sitting at a concert watching people play, and he's watching the, the lead singer up there singing and playing guitar, and God puts it on his spirit, clear as day. He says to him, that's what I want you to do. And he immediately said to God, God, I can't do that. You know, I, I'm sure a lot of us might be intimidated to get up and sing and play guitar, but he had, a, he had a specific reason, and that was that at a young age, he had lost half of his right arm. He, he, his arm only went to the elbow. But he believed in God, and he, he was a, a kid with a good Christian heart, and that's what God was telling him to do. So, so he worked on it, and he figured it out. And at the time I was watching him play, he had a really unique way of taping a pick to half his arm. And, and he strummed that guitar, and he played beautifully. So he, he had every reason to say, no, God, uh, that's not something I can do. Probably better reason than most of us. But when God has a shape to put you in for a way to serve, that's part of his plan. That's part of how he is going to help us reach the world. And so we need to be able to be in this place where we're open to being used by God, we're open to being shaped by God. Grace isn't just done to you, it's given to you to change you into who God has called you to be so that you can be empowered by his grace to help change the world around you. So in parting, I would say this. Live in the grace space and let other Christians live there with you. Try, fail, laugh about your failures, and try again. If you're feeling the power of God's grace on you today, would you pray along with me? and my Christian brothers and sisters to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Let's all bow our heads and pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner in need of grace and forgiveness. I know that Jesus lived, died, and rose again for my sins. I ask Jesus into my heart and into my life so that I might live for you through the power of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please stand for the final song.